Superhero, our mission is to give female athletes the freedom to perform. And it is intentionally vague because freedom for everybody looks different. Mm -hmm. I don't want freedom to be this, you know, hot button word that is thrown around all the time. Freedom is that feeling for me when you're on the field and you are like not thinking about anything else. You're on the court and you are like diving for a ball and like you don't feel any weight on your shoulders and you pancake it up or you're just like sprinting across the field, like get to a through ball, cross it to your teammate and score. Like it is like the feeling of pure joy being on the field or your court track, whatever it is. And like playing and doing the thing you love with the people that you love and not feeling the weight of restriction and perfectionism on you. What's up guys. Hannah Donnelly here for another episode of on her mark, a podcast where we sit down with female athletes, fitness professionals, and women in sports to learn their stories and their why all in an effort to find inspiration and celebrate those blazing trails for the next generation. I cannot wait to introduce you to today's guest. Marina Paul has been an athlete her entire life, playing Division I soccer at Georgetown University in continuing to be active today. She is a superhuman, you guys. After graduating, she authored her first book, Becoming a Superhero, Awaken Your Superpowers, and Inspire the Magic in Others. As you can imagine, this book is packed with inspiration. It dives into the stories of highly successful women from Olympic gold medalists to CEOs. And then after years of working in marketing and consulting, Marina decided to launch Superhero, a high-performance sportswear company with a mission to arm women with the gear they need to live and perform freely. From the pitch to her business, there is so much to chat about today. So we actually split the episode into two parts. You get the first one today and then tune back in Thursday for the second part. Today, we dive into Marina's journey to and through sport, her solution to a simple yet unanswered question for female athletes, properly fitting clothes. How one choice changed her perspective on sport and identity and so much more. I do want to mention that we talk about disordered eating and mental health in this episode, so please do what you need to do to protect yourself through that. Skip that part if necessary and move ahead. There is plenty of conversation here to listen to. Let's not waste any more time and welcome Marina Paul to the On Her Mark podcast. The first thing I want to do, and maybe this is like unconventional, but... (laughs) The best to walk behind is oh. <laughs> your high school superlative. And once upon a time was something you didn't like and something that, you know, made you feel small, sexualized and, and really bad. And now you have really kind of taken that in stride to mean that you're a leader and what you're doing is leading a whole generation of female athletes. And so I wanna know when you hear that and you reflect on that perspective shift, what goes through your head? Immediately I go back to the very insecure girl in high school who I I still feel the effects of getting nominated as that and wanting to be recognized as a great athlete and a great student and a funny and kind friend. 
And then I go to that and I say, wow, was that really the perception that I gave? So I'm still training my brain to have a different immediate reaction. But now I, I guess I don't even see myself as this hear you say that we're leading a charge for female athletes like it's almost like really because to me I am just creating and solving a problem for myself and my friends and my teammates and I I do see myself as a leader but I also just say like I have I get obsessive about solving a problem and making it so no woman has can ever experience what I experienced in the past that I'm, I'm just so focused on that. Like, I don't even call myself a founder. I just call myself a builder. I'm just building this thing and solving this problem. So I think when I hear that best to walk behind, it's, it's to me that more so speaks to my, I think the superpower that speaks to me most is, which is my loyalty to my teammates and the people I love that I will literally not ever let them down or ever let them be hurt. It's kind of like this loyal protection uh, th- that I think is my greatest superpower. And so the the problem that you're solving, you you mentioned a few times there, What what is that problem? I am solving this idea of restriction that female athletes place on themselves. This idea, this feeling, and then the actual restriction that we get from our sports apparel. So when I was in high school, I restricted, I was so disciplined with myself that anytime I wasn't perfect, I restricted something and, and, it, and it started to be food. I also grew to be six feet tall in high school <laughs> from I think five, five, my freshman year, my body fundamentally changed. And so I realized that my sports problem was extremely restrictive and that reinforced those restrictive thoughts that were going on in my head. And so now I'm, I'm solving this problem by creating, give, trying to give female athletes the freedom to perform through their sports apparel while also creating this community where athletes can show up as their goofy, bold, raw selves and just be exactly who they are and, and create an environment where they can also transcend into these incredible, what I call superheroes. And so I love the idea of solving this problem and creating a space for female athletes to really be themselves because oftentimes they're put in a box and we see the Mm -hmm. drop in sports participation at that time, just exactly to your point, when you're a freshman in high school and all of a sudden your body's changing, things are changing and you're like, oh, let's just not play sports Mm -hmm. anymore. Right. and, And others take that path and continue to play sports and they're there are challenges. There are challenges that come with everything in life, but there are specific challenges to female athletes and apparel is one of them. I mean, you look at a lot of the uniforms that their people are required to wear. Women are required to wear. And one of the first things when we first connected that you told me about what you were creating was you can squat in these spandex and not feel like you have to adjust them and they're going to ride up or they're going to go in places you don't want. And I was like, damn, I need that. (laughs) Like that doesn't exist. And we are put into often into these boxes where it's just like, well, that's the way it is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so when you all of a sudden had this idea, what to, to create this solution, was there fear at all? Because I would imagine that something so simple simple. (laughs) simple. didn't exist. You know what I mean? 
Oh, entirely. And I think almost every day I, I had to talk myself out of the self-doubt, like this exists already. This exists already. There's all of these name, every single athleisure company that exists. There's also the Nikes, the Adidas, the Pumas that I grew up playing in. And I said, why do I still feel terrible in these clothes? Like this clothing, this, this, maybe it's just me because my body insecurities, but let me go out and research and ask all my teammates. And they all have the same issues. And we see like different accounts, like soccer girl probs exposing the jerseys that are being stretched out on these, like, you know, our, our soccer team stretches out their jerseys on the plasma screen TV in the locker room. And it's like all of these ridiculous things. And I said, okay, th- there is a problem here. I think if you look at it, you call it a box. It's a box that was created for us to fit into. It's like, we don't even get to create the box, right? It's, it's all of these things that we have been said, these are all your the restrictions that you have to work with. Here you go. Be grateful for it. And I don't think in the same way that women's sports don't get any coverage or 4% of, of you know media coverage, of course, they would never think that female athletes actually need a different sports peril than men. Of course, they don't care that our bodies are fundamentally different. You see, I mean, the correlation is incredible because if you see all these female athletes getting injured because the seasons are built for men and not for female athletes, it's because the whole system is designed for male athletes. And male athletes are some of our biggest allies because they're like, you guys put in the same amount of work as we do, probably even more, and you don't get paid to do it, and you're completely under-resourced. So, um, for us, it's like, how, how do we eliminate the box entirely and build it from the ground up of what we want to create, but it's such a simple problem yet, you know, this, you interview women all the time, the world doesn't listen to women. It's like, you can, you can give them a microphone, but like, you have to listen and put their ideas into action. And that's this, that's all we're doing. You're so right. Because you think about title nine. Last year, we celebrated the 50th anniversary. And there are a lot of people who sit there and say, well, isn't this great? Look at all the progress we've made in 50 years. And while that is true, there's the and, there's still so much farther we need mm-hmm. to go. And I think a, a lot of times, and I'm I'm curious if you have the same experience, when I tell people, I talk to female athletes, I cover female f- or women's sports, They'll, they'll nod. Yeah, cool. And then every now and then a guy will say to me, well, you, did you know that? And it's something that we have lived and it's because their daughter, their sister, their niece, their girlfriend has experienced it. And all of a sudden it becomes relevant to them. Mm-hmm. But for us, this is something that we've lived for a lot of female athletes. This is something we lived. So I want to dive into your, your sports journey and where, you know, you played collegiate soccer at a mm-hmm. prestigious university you mm-hmm. did well so what let's let's rewind though back to elementary school back to middle school back to high school how did you find soccer and why did you play I was so grateful to grow up in a household where my parents are annoyingly obsessed with sports I, I don't think we watch anything other than ESPN I'm and I I that's not a joke and my grandpa like worked in the parking lot they in high angels so we were always at Angels games, at any sporting event. My brother was always playing sports or I was playing sports. My parents were like, you you don't have another option because we love sports so much. Like you're just <laughs> going to go play them. And 
I got real, I was really lucky that my parents treated us equally. If my brother was playing three sports, I was playing three sports. If he was playing four, I was playing four. Um, if he got a new bat, I got this. So I didn't know anything other than like this equitable world between men or girls and boys at the time, because my parents were so adamant about us having the same amount of things at the same time. Like my dad, whenever he would take my brother out for batting practice, like I would get the same amount of reps as he would. Granted, I wasn't great at shagging, so I was just doing cartwheels <laughs> all the time, <laughs> but I didn't know any different. And so my parents thrust me into as many sports as I wanted to play, which was, I mean, it's the greatest gift of all. And they sacrificed so much of their time and money for that. So I cannot deny that privilege that I had. Um, I think I just ended up falling in love with volleyball and soccer soccer because to me it's like poetic and <laughs> for anyone who's played very competitively they'll understand what I mean but I just love the patterns of the sport and um I just think it's a beautiful a beautiful game and it's all it's never the same and that's kind of the way my mind works so soccer became my passion I was lucky enough to be on an incredible club team growing up again because I lived in, in an amazing county growing up I had access to that and those resources I had access to a team where everyone was going division one and my parents were willing to drive me everywhere to um, all of these tournaments. And I just cannot deny, like I would not be where I am today without that support. So, but that was my life. And it was, it was like friends going to the beach sports and uh, school. <laughs> I was like, what was the last one? <laughs> yeah, I had to go to school. Um, and I, and I think growing up in Southern California, you just have access to, year-round sports and being outside and so it was just a phenomenal environment to grow up in and then when you went to college did you yeah. I mean being a college athlete is demanding you're doing basically working a full-time job while being a student but did you did you did your love for sport ever change I think that soccer became uh how do I put this it became I call it my crutch in my book, but it became the thing I had to do to stay above water. So in that way, it became a job, but also became my like mechanism for survival. So since I was, I was probably 11 when I first experienced like my very first controlling potentially depressive episode. Um, and I remember, I remember it so clearly I didn't really know what it was in high school, but I definitely had this like element of extreme perfectionism. Mm. And then when I got to college and especially going to Georgetown, all of that was exasperated because you're around some of like the top kids in the country who are unbelievably brilliant, have also had access to things that I've never seen in my life before and these experiences. And then you're on, on you know, a top 10 college program and the the weight of perfectionism is insane mm. on top of wanting to look good be cool and all those things so in that sense like soccer then became my survival mechanism because if I knew I wasn't healthy then I couldn't play so I was healthy so I could play and be with my friends so it became an outlet but a necessary outlet that like, I know there are some people that when they reflect back on times of their life and they said, if I did not have this, I don't know what I would have used to get through. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like that was soccer for you. It was holding a lot of pieces together for you. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, otherwise, it would have been very a lot rougher than it was. And so, and then while you're doing this, and I know that you talk a lot in your book, becoming a superhero, <laughs> um, about sisterhood. And I do want to touch on that because I think that's a part of soccer. And I'm curious if part of the soccer, cr- uh, using it as a crutch was your teammates and those sisters that you had developed, um, that were, you know, rode the highest highs and the lowest lows with you. Is that was that part of part of the crutch, those women? Oh, entirely. And what's interesting for me to reflect on now is that most of them had no idea what I was going through. They knew mm. that something was like kind of wrong, but a lot of my friends weren't very confrontational. Um, and so, or teammates, I should say. And I think that nobody really knew how to confront what was going on. And, and especially when I was saying, oh no, I'm fine. Everything is fine. Um, and was still playing and producing results, we kind of just like pushed it under the rug, but, but them just being there and being their authentic selves and being like entirely goofy and saying things that don't mean anything. And we're just like, it's, it's just such a fun environment to be around such incredible individuals. Like that helps me more than they know. And then when I told them finally have the kind of the bravery to tell them what was going on after I graduated they all apologized and were like, I'm so sorry I wasn't there, which of course it's never their fault. And then, you know, just we're ripping jokes after. And that's like the best thing I could ask for because I was so scared that there would be insane judgment mm. and there wasn't at all. And I think that's the best part of, of sisterhood. And that's what true sisterhood is. It's like, however I am, I just show up as I am and how I am. And these people don't, they might judge me for a little bit, but then they'll always have my back no matter what. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient comfortable ah you know, when you talk about what you were going through and that perfectionism um there was also injury and i that's a lot that's something that a lot of athletes face and unfortunately in college you had two acl tears back to back 9 months so apart what was what was that like and how did that impact what the perfection for perfectionism, but also your role on the team or your, um, I guess maybe perception of your role on the team. Yeah. And it's weird to say this now, but it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, so many people who face injuries say it was the best thing that happened to them. Interestingly. Yeah. Yeah. Which continue, please. (laughs) Yeah. Which you, it, it is so, it's so interesting how things in life happen, but my junior year in our big East championship, I tore my ACL. Um, and was having like the best season of my entire career and just went out and uh, it was terrible. I, I literally didn't know what to do. My eating disorder had gone full force after that because I wasn't playing. So all these, it was so triggering. And I didn't know if I would ever be able to be the same athlete again. Nine months later, try to come back too early with a cadaver that didn't really, or a cadaver, um, 
a graph, but it was a cadaver graph that didn't really stick and snapped it in practice four games into the season. If it had been the fifth game, it would have been ineligible to redshirt. So I was like blessing in disguise, but I had to learn who I was outside of soccer. And I know so many athletes go through this after they graduate it, after they graduate, I got, was fortunate enough to go through it um, before that. And I just remember having one of my favorite coaches say, you got to figure out like the person who, like, when you look in the mirror, you have to figure out if you love that person or not. And if you don't, there's something that you need to change because I didn't love myself the way I was. I was so hard on myself about, you know, what I looked like and how I was perceived and all of these things. And, um, I said, who am I without soccer? Because I genuinely was using that as my safety flow. So when the perfection, the perfectionism and I came, you know, head to head and I really had to realize like, what is fun look like outside of sports? What is like actually like enjoying life without any sort of performance indicator? And it's something I still work on every single day because we're so measured. Our worth is so measured by our output and our performance. Mm -hmm. So I had that injury. I came the second injury. I came back for a fifth year, didn't play in the first five games. And I was the worst leader that ever existed. My team, my coach was like, you're going to get kicked off the team. If you're going, if you're going to lead like this, like, I'm not even going to just revoke the captain ban. So I changed my attitude and I said, I will just be the best bench player ever. And because that's the person I want to be, I don't want to be this terrible human that nobody wants to be around. I didn't even like being around myself. And so I changed that. And then that year we ended up going to the final four, which was amazing. And, um, that was purely out of us just really recognizing, like bringing in the sisterhood to full force and what we had talked about before. So yeah, the injuries were insane, but it also allowed me to confront like my darkest insecurities. Reading um, the situation on the pitch with your coach, Lindsay, yeah. um, about that kind of that pivotal moment, that, that moment where she said, you, you got to make a change. Um, or not, you have to make a change. You need to make a choice. Yes. And I think that is empowering. So what was the significance of having a coach like that? First of all, Lindsay was two years older than me. I was 22 at the time. She's 24. For a 24-year-old to have that level of awareness, it's unbelievable. And I think because of our closeness age, but because of the way she carried herself in terms of her level of confidence she earned my trust. So when mm. she said something like that, I knew that it was, it came from the best place and honest heart and her truly believing in what I could do because I did not believe in myself. And I, I, I sat with that question and I also looked back on on the girl who worked so hard to get to Georgetown and pl and to play all those years. And I said, you know what? I'm gen genuinely proud of the career. And I think legacy, I had somewhat left at Georgetown. So if I never play again, I just want to be, I just want to make sure that I have a positive impact on these people's lives because the alternative was just such, was just not me and not so not who, my parents raised me to be and so not who I wanted to be in the future. And so I took that and I said, this is a different outcome that I can choose. And I think that it's such a good lesson 
for me for the rest of my life, it was like, there's always, there's always two paths you can take, you know, and it, there's always a choice. And I don't necessarily agree with like the idea of fate. I'm like, I want to have a hand in what happens in my life. And that's how I, that's how I approach that situation. There's a couple things in there that I want to kind of double click into the first being that you were proud of yourself. How hard was it for you as a, as a perfectionist mm-hmm. to admit that to yourself and to one, to admit it to yourself in, in your head, then two, to say it out loud. Terrifying because I, I had my, me being proud of myself means me winning an award for being a successful athlete, right? Like it's, it's justified by external uh, other people thought it too. Other people. Yes, exactly. But for me to be proud of myself in the lowest mo- moment after being, and I'm just going to say it, an asshole, but to choose not to be one anymore. And also to not be a great athlete anymore as like, as I thought I would had been before. It was, it was terrifying to say I was proud of myself, but I said, ultimately, you know what? I am. And I think that's where those are the moments that you have to be proud of yourself the most in order to get somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that it's a really challenging thing for a lot of people, even non-athletes, people who have never played a sport in their life, people who are really good at something who then get to a point and they have to say, I'm proud of myself. It's like, am I admitting that what I've done is good enough for me and it doesn't have to be good enough for anyone else around me. Yeah. Um, and that's really scary. And I think that's, you know, we've been trained that our entire lives is that valid, you know, external validation. But mm-hmm. um, so as I was, you know, preparing for, for our conversation today, uh, I reached out to my teammates and um, one of them being the the woman who connected us, Mari <laughs> Fain's Kupanipe. Um, But I asked them, like, what would you ask as someone who's lived this? you know, lived being a collegiate athlete, transitioning and wanting to be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them asked, what are things that you had to unlearn, uh, habits you had to unlearn um, that made you a successful athlete, but weren't going to make you a successful person and vice versa? What did you learn that you had to continue to continue being successful? <laughs> This is so hard. This fine line between like what discipline means. Mm. And I say that because to me in the past in sport, discipline has meant I wake up at 5 a.m. I do these things. I work this much, this many hours. It's like such a programmed way of life. Right. And I know that discipline leads to some sort of success, but at the same time, that regimented discipline, if you do not incorporate fun life things into it, then you you literally miss out on life. And there's so many opportunities in college that I missed out on. Like my biggest regret is like not having it more fun um, and not having more of like a collegiate experience because it was so regimented in these things. And I think I would have been a more well-rounded human and had just a more, just more fun. Um, So I am trying to unlearn the discipline that I thought was the way I had to be a successful athlete and try to, so how do I be disciplined as now a business owner and a 
you know, leading this company, but I'm incorporating all the fun life things in it and, and Mm -hmm. kind of transforming what it means to like lead a company in the opposite of way I've learned it in like management consulting before. Um, and then, then I think the thing to carry through is you practice so much to get to a game and then you play so many games. I played 78 games before I got to a final four and a national championship was my goal. And like, I went through two ACLs. I went through, you know, terrible depression and eating disorders and all of these things to get to this pinnacle. And luckily got to end my career on that. But I just remember now as a business owner, I'm like, you've got to enjoy the journey because it is brutal and it's so fun and it's just chaotic and you have no idea what's going to happen. And I just remember being on the pitch on the, at the final four and looking around me and being like, like, this is genuinely epic, but I miss all the work. Like, I love the grind. I love, I love the getting better. I love individual touches. I love genuinely, even though film sucks, it's also fun to learn like what you can do better and how you can, you know, adapt as an athlete. So unlearning the discipline that I thought was going to make me successful in sports to now it's going to make me a successful business owner. And then two is just like appreciating the journey and knowing that like the end result is not going to give you that, the, the amazing, like don't work for that amazing feeling of the end glory. Yes, yes, yes. All of it. I mean, when you, cause when you think back, like when, when you look back on your athletic career, my, I don't immediately go to the big games, the big moments. I go to the locker room. I go to the hard mm-hmm. practices. I go to the team meals, um, the lifts with the music and our coaches. And I go to those moments before I go to, to the big games. Yeah. Of course, those are fun. And that's what you work towards. Mm-hmm. But if you don't love the journey, what's the point? Exactly. What's exactly. Well, that's what I have to remind myself every day building superhero. I have no idea what I'm doing. And I'll Mm -hmm. always admit that. I'm like, nobody told me how to build, you know, a clothing company. And I don't want to necessarily build it the way it's been done before. But at the same time, I have to remember, like, you have to, you have to love it and have fun with it or else it's not worth it. Like if I'm going to be miserable, some days are harder than others, but like, if I'm not going to love it, then like, what am I doing? So yeah. I mean, and what a fun a fun journey to be on too that you're because because you are I, I mean I said it off the top like you are a leader for this next generation of female athletes whether you want to admit it yet or not you can take your we'll take we'll let you take your time processing it so you can first say it in your head and then say it out loud <laughs> but I think it's important that that you understand what you're doing and that people know the mission and I want to give you another opportunity here to kind of explain the mission of Superhero because that alone can, knowing just the mission mm-hmm. can impact people. Superhero, our mission is to give female athletes the freedom to perform. And it is intentionally big because freedom for everybody looks different. I don't want freedom to be this, you know, hot button word that is thrown around all the time. 
freedom is that feeling for me when you're on the field and you are like not thinking about anything else you're on the court and you are like diving for a ball and like you don't feel any weight on your shoulders and you pancake it up or you're just like sprinting across the field like get to a through ball cross it to your teammate and score like it is like the feeling of pure joy being on the field or your court track whatever it is and like playing and doing the thing you love with the people that you love and not feeling the weight of restriction and perfectionism on you. And it's also transforming that into all the different areas of your life. We, I think we're on this pursuit of forever freedom, but I also realized that we can't have freedom all the time because otherwise, and what is, what is it that we're pursuing? Sometimes freedom maybe doesn't feel like that joy at all, but it's the freedom to make the decision that's best for you in life. That can also be the hardest most moments of your life. And so Superhero, the reason why that name exists or is the name of our company, because yes, it's an adaptation for my book, Becoming a Superhero, but it's this permission to show up as you are and continuing to live in your uniqueness, but also grow in that as well. And it's never to have this weight of like trying to carry the world on your shoulders. And I think a lot of what women carry of like trying to make this massive change and feeling so just overwhelmed with all that we need to do. It's really like that. It should be this energy towards channeling like your uniqueness to provide in any way that you think is most beneficial for you and the people around you. And it's this almost like this, I call it this, like this smiling feeling in your body of like, I'm just, I'm just good the way I am. I'm worthy the way I am. And I'm just doing this thing how I want to do it. It's not to to necessarily be the traditional action figure that like saves the world. It's Mm -hmm. literally because that's not realistic and that's not human. You see in all these action movies, the hero still comes home and they're alone. But superhero isn't about being alone. It's about how do you literally use your unique talents to elevate yourself in the lives of others. So our mission again, to give female athletes the freedom to perform and that's on the pitch through our clothing, but it's also, you know, in, in your life, in your company, in, you know, the boardroom, wherever, wherever you are, wherever you're making an impact. And I love that for so so many reasons, but a few things, one that it's, it's helping that forever athlete, because there's a very small percentage of people that will go on to play a sport professionally. However, being an athlete is a lifelong thing. Mm -hmm. So being able to still find freedom in that, how you show up today, because how we show up today is not how we showed up in college. It's just, it's not, it can't be, we're not dedicating the same amount of time to be that physically fit and active and skilled. Right. Um, but the other thing I love there is that it's bringing people together. And I'm curious what the reaction has been when you share this with people from all different kind of life paths, right? Whether it's a collegiate athlete, a high school school athlete, um, you know, a business colleague, Mm -hmm. what has that response been like? I think the response has been like this kind of like a relief Mm -hmm. of like, finally, like women get to be, we get to be a team again, because especially with those who are not in team sports anymore, when you're done, it's really hard to find camaraderie and a community that 
is like being on a sports team, especially for women. We're also extreme, like society pits us against each other. There's still one woman and she has to look this way and talk this way. And like, maybe there's room for some, some sort of diversity, but we have to like nitpick at all of it. I think with superhero, it's like, not only are you part of our community now of people who like are just like you, but at the same time, they're like, Oh my gosh, I actually get a say in what I want to wear on my body. And like, I think there's also, there's this relief in being part of a community, this relief in being heard and understood. And this relief in having permission to just like do your thing and like have a whole crew of people that support you. A whole crew of people that support you. That is what Superhera is all about. And guys, we are just scratching the surface into Marina's brainchild that is quite literally changing the game for female athletes everywhere. So make sure you tune back in Thursday. Then we dive into all the common sportswear complaints Marina is addressing in the development of new superhero products. Think about this, not having to pull your shorts down after every set of squats. Genius. (laughs) She also offers in that episode advice to younger athletes, and you don't want to miss that. In the meantime, you can find Superhero on social at SPR. H-R-A. And you can keep up with all things on her mark on social at MBCS Boston. And I'm over at underscore Hannah dot Donnelly. That does it for me today. I'll catch you guys next time.